This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Okay. Welcome, those who've just arrived uh, this afternoon, this evening. Good to have you here. Um, we're going to have a very brief recap like we did earlier today. So yesterday we started, um, and uh, I was saying that our goal for this weekend is three things, that we'll all learn something about prayer, um, that we will all pray, and thirdly, that we'll go home equipped, ready to form some new habits of prayer. And we started addressing the question, why pray? And we gave five reasons. One, what was it? You can't not pray. Secondly, why pray? It's about relationship with God. We want a language and a vehicle for expressing that. Thirdly, we pray why? To cry out to God. Might be for mercy, might be for justice. Fourthly, we're not in this alone. And fifthly, when we pray, stuff happens. That's right. Because we're praying to Almighty God. Things happen in us. Things happen external to us. Um, we then talked about how our view of God shapes how we approach God. And if our life's experiences have marred our image of God, then we want to bring those things to God for healing. So we have a right view of to whom it is that we pray. And um, you remember on Friday night, we had those hearts, those post-it note hearts, and we posted them in those boxes by the tables near the lighted uh, trees. And if you've just joined us, you can go over there afterwards and have a look. You can still post a heart. We're, it's based on the idea that every Eucharist, we start with that wonderful collect for purity. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, from whom no secret, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid. And so we each got to express some of the desires of our hearts to offer them to the Lord. And those boxes, which won't be opened, they're going to be brought up and put on the altar tomorrow in our service when we pray that prayer. And then this morning, we looked at the Anglican way of prayer, and we had like a, a whole day of prayer in 30 minutes using the abridged family form out of the new prayer book. Uh, we didn't do the full form of morning prayer, although I understand 30 people came to morning prayer this morning, uh, the full morning prayer. Um, and then, of course, um, this afternoon and, and later in the morning, we had our workshops on prayer. So many different ways that we can engage in prayer. But the scriptures urge us not only to pray at certain times or in certain ways, but more than that, to pray always, to pray continually. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18, we read, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. St. John Chrysostom, writing in the third century, said, Make sure that you do not limit your prayer merely to a particular time of the day. Turn to prayer at any time. The day after I met Andrea, um, we were on a leadership retreat uh, conference in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and We'd gone out to uh, the pub in the evening, the, all, all of the team, and um, I, I 
wanted to sit near Andrea. I'd figured that out. And uh, anyway, I saw a seat open next to her. So I, you know, went along, sat down with my beer. And um, anyway, she was deeply in conversation with someone who wasn't part of our team. There was this guy, he was working away from home, I guess. And, you know, I'm just sitting on the edge. And, uh, well, within minutes, Andrea's praying for this guy in, in, at the table in the, in the bar. And I think it was, he was away from his... He was traveling on business, and I don't know what it was about, but th there she was, just praying in the bar. And I thought, well, that's good. I like that. Um, and the point is, you really can pray anytime, anywhere, even with complete strangers, such is the gift that we have to approach the throne of grace. Um, you know, like, like Andrea, I'm usually not short for words. In, in case you hadn't noticed, we are, you know, moderately extroverted. Um, I've taken that wretched Myers-Briggs so many times, and I keep thinking that as I get older, it will be somehow modified. But, and I try hard with those questions, and I'm, I'm always an extreme E, and I, I, don't, I don't know why that is. Anyway, um, and, and I realize that praying out loud can, for some people, be a complete nightmare, particularly if there are other people listening other than God. But, you know, words alone are not the point when we're talking about prayer, because far more important than the words we use or how readily we're happy to pray, even in public, is actually our hearts. What is the state of our hearts? We keep coming back to this. It's where we started on Friday. It's where we'll start the communion. It's where we'll continue in the communion service when we, of course, lift up our hearts to the Lord, because we need heart surgery from God. But I... When I think about our hearts in the context of prayer, and I think about words, I think of the story that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collection. I want to read it to you from Luke's Gospel. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Yep, that was his prayer. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we, most of us at least, are familiar with that story we, we know who the heroes and the villains in the parables are. And so we hear the word Pharisee, and we think to ourselves, thank God I'm not like the Pharisee. <laughs> yes, it's a bit of a problem, I know. But the stance of the tax collector, who knows his unworthiness, who knows his lack of spiritual understanding, is the one we can all follow. And it's a great place to begin in prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. But you know, God doesn't leave us there, beating our breasts, mindful of our sin, with our eyes looking at our feet. No, because the Holy Spirit helps us, helps us to pray, helps us, even though we're sinners, helps us in our weakness. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So this begs the question, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. From the Anglican Catechism to be a Christian, it has this definition. God, the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the one being of the Holy Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, and equally worthy of our honor and worship. Every Sunday, we confess our belief in the Holy Spirit when we say the Nicene Creed, don't we? We say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We rehearse that every week. It's part of our triune uh, statement of faith of who we believe in. Did you notice that the Holy Spirit is called the Lord and giver of life? What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, we read in Genesis 2, chapter, uh, verse 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God's spirit brought both bodily life to the dust man. That's what Adam means, dust man. <laughs> he brought bodily life, but also spiritual life to his first creations. But because of sin, we've become spiritually dead. We've become separated from God. But that's why Jesus says in the New Testament that we must be born again that we must be born afresh, born anew of water and the Spirit. In the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit is at work bringing new life, new spiritual life to the disciples. The scene is this. The resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples who are hanging out in an upper room, and he greets them with the most beautiful words. Peace be with you. Can you imagine after abandoning your friend, after abandoning the Son of God, the first thing that he says is, peace be with you? I, I can't think of a, a more healing word to hear from our Savior. Then it says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Can you think of other names for the Holy Spirit? Other names that, are, that he's called in the Bible? Comforter? Helper? Advocate? 
Counselor, breath of God, spirit of God, spirit of Christ, spirit of truth, paraclete, which means to come alongside someone, which is another way of saying helper or advocate. There's also an old-fashioned word for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> As a kid, I was so creeped out by that. It really scared me. In fact, I didn't, I have to say, I really didn't want to know much about the Holy Ghost. And, well, I actually didn't know a whole lot about the Holy Ghost. Um, I am what I would call a, a three-streams Anglican. When I was, um, I, I would say my first decade and a half, you know, ages zero to 16, um, I belonged to a liturgical and sacramental church. Uh, I was a Roman Catholic. Anybody else? Okay. So we have this wonderful tradition of word and sacrament and prayers, but the focus is really on the mass, about the, the liturgy. So I didn't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, but in the 1970s, my parents got swept up in a movement that went across the U.S. that's called the Catholic Charismatic Movement. And the Spirit was born afresh and anew in my folks. And they came home and I thought they were crazy. <laughs> I have to tell you, I, I love liturgy. I love standard prayers. And that's what they had taught us. Remember I told you, you know, we'd all kneel down. And I told some of you, we you know, kneel down together and, you know, fold our hands and close our eyes and pray together. Well, we did that, but then they would also have these spontaneous prayers. And that was a little odd. But what I noticed was something had changed in their life. I noticed a change in them. They became much more loving and wise and patient and... I saw the fruits, later if we would call them the fruits of the Spirit, joy and peace. Anyway, they started, for a while we toggled between two churches, the Catholic Church and then this Spirit-filled, or we might say Pentecostal or charismatic church, where the, the Spirit was alive, and it was wild, and things happened, and it was great until it wasn't. <laughs> That was the next 10 years. And then to recover from that experience, I went to a Bible church where evangelical was all about the Bible. So the Catholic Church didn't focus on the, the Holy Ghost uh, or the Bible that much. And then the Charismatic Church focused on the Spirit, but not so much the, the Bible and not at all the sacraments. And then the when I went to recover at the evangelical church, it was all about the Bible, but not so much about the sacraments and not so much about the Spirit. So for me, it's like this breath of homecoming to be an Anglican because we get to hold all three together. So let me just say a word or two about the, um, the Holy Spirit, of what the Holy Spirit is not, because I needed to have my mind renewed based on the experience I had in the wild and woolly uh, church that I went to. First of all, the, the Holy Spirit is not a power. It's not a manifestation. It's not a performance. It's not an experience. It's not magic. It's not emotionalism. It's not enthusiasm. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a what, it's a who. So when I was at this charismatic church, 
Um, this church had a particular theology that said, um, for you to be born again, you needed to have proof. You needed to have proof that you had a renewed spirit. And in that particular church, there was an, they were looking for a particular evidence. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? The gift of tongues, speaking in an angelic language, speaking, um, speaking in a prayer language. So one afternoon or e uh, evening, the fine group of ladies came around 16-year-old Andrea to see if the Holy Spirit was alive in her. I see some people shaking their heads. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so these women all came, and they were really wonderful women, but I have to say at 16 years old, it was freaking me out. So they sat me down in a chair, and they all laid hands on me. And, and that was weird, because we, we don't do that in the Catholic Church. We shake hands, we pass the peace, and that, that's it. But they were laying hands on me and praying for God's Spirit to come upon me so that I would speak in tongues. Well, something did happen, because something always happens when we pray. Something always happens. What happened to me was not what they expected, but it was close enough, so they let me go. <laughs> What happened to me was, when they were praying for me, deep in my being, in my gut, I'm like, in my gut, I found this wellspring of joy bubbling up. And, and uh, one of the great um, uh, people of faith, who, uh, Aldersgate, heart gently warm, Wesley, Wesley, thank you, historian, um, talks about his heart when he had this born again, this renewed spirit, of his, his heart being warmed. Well, I'd never heard anything about heart strangely warmed, and yet here it is, it's happening to me. So what do I do? I start laughing. I start laughing because the joy of the Lord is like bubbling up, and that was close enough for them. They're like, praise the Lord, she's saved. <laughs> Woohoo! I already thought I was saved, but this helped them, and it helped me. <laughs> My heart, I have to tell you, though, that's, you know, that was the experience. They prayed for one thing, but I got another. I, as, I, as I left, and, and, and more importantly, as I look back on my life in high school, um, I look back six months later, the friends that I had been hanging out with, we, we were going on a trajectory that was this way. And because my heart was strangely warmed, I didn't want to do the partying with them anymore. I still wanted to be friends, but I had no desire. Good news is I had enough Catholic guilt, too, to keep me from <laughs> some of the things that I was tempted by. But God changed my heart. And the evidence was joy and peace and love, which are fruits of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit. James Houston, in his book on prayer, titled The Transforming Friendship, writes this. What we are offered is the person of the Holy Spirit who works, works inside us to change us from the inside out. It was no longer trying to be good, follow a rule, do better. It was because the goodness of God was coming up this way that I didn't want to do those things that were offending God. Now, I can't say that I've never needed more filling of God's spirit because we all continue to sin and that's why we need to be refilled. Changing us into the likeness of God. 
That's why, um, as Jonathan pointed out in Romans uh, 8.26, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to change us, and the Spirit will help us in our weakness. For when we don't know what to for when we do not know what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words, groanings. Last night we looked at Jesus' parable that he used to, his, uh, to encourage his disciples to pray and, and not lose heart. And we saw that it makes sense, to, to make sense of what Jesus was saying about the persistent widow, is that we need to read the story as a contrast not a comparison, it's a contrast. Jesus was using a how much more contrast. How much more does God love us than this hard-hearted judge? How much more willing is God to answer our prayers than the judge who is moved only by nagging and, and fear of being pummeled by this persistent widow? How much more? Jesus also uses this how much more device in another teaching um, on prayer. It's found in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 begins with Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. And that's where Tish is going to be taking us tomorrow in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Toward the end of this teaching on prayer, Jesus says this. What father among you, if his child asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more is God willing to give you the Holy Spirit? Jesus wants us to have the gift of his Spirit to help us pray. Again from James Houston, human prayers are not enough. We need the Holy Spirit to transform our humanity and enable us to pray as God intended. When we examine the life of Jesus, we see that in order for him to carry out his ministry and his mission, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you think about times from the Bible where you, you, we read about this? At his baptism... Wilderness. Let me, let me read. This is just, I'm just going to look at uh, four different ways in two chapters where we see the Holy Spirit and Jesus mentioned together. The first is, you're right, at his baptism, where it says, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, and the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And then someone said when he goes into the wilderness, yes, chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. After Jesus is in the wilderness, he comes back and he goes to a church and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he claims the Isaiah prophecy for himself when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's beautiful. 
and it's the spirit working within Jesus. He's filled at his baptism. He's filled and led, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes back. I think I skipped one. Yes. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding countries. Four times in two chapters, we see that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry and mission, how much more do we need the Spirit's help? The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So how are we filled? How are we filled by the Holy Spirit? We're filled by asking, by asking in prayer. Here's a prayer for the, inviting the Holy Spirit. It was written in the fourth century by St. Augustine of Hippo. Listen to this prayer. O Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter there thy cheerful beams. Is that a prayer? If there's anybody here who would like to be filled or refilled or refreshed with an infilling of the Holy Spirit, perhaps you'd like to pray this after me. You don't have to. No one's going to surround you, lay hands on you, and make you do something. <laughs> I'm just going to say it again, and if you want to repeat after me, feel free to do it. And if you want to do it out loud, fine. If you want to do it in the quiet of your heart, fine. If you don't want to do it at all, fine. O Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter there thy cheerful beams. When more of Jesus is alive in us, our prayers change. We listen more. We listen more attentively. Charles Stanley said, to have God speak to the heart is a majestic experience, an experience that people may miss if they monopolize the conversation and never pause to hear God's responses. I want to tell you two quick um, examples of how, uh, how I paused and, and heard the Holy Spirit in my life. The first, it's going to take me longer to tell you about how it happened than how it actually happened. <laughs> um, I was in my home, and I was at the top of my staircase, and there weren't that many stairs. All, all week, month, I had been praying, Lord, um, what am I to do now? I was between ministry uh, missions, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. So every day I'd get up, I'd write in my prayer journal, I'd ask the Lord. But this, this morning I just got up, and I'm about to step down this, you know, the staircase to go down. And I got this sense of 
the Lord's prompting saying, now is the time for faith. Now is the time for faith. And what went through my mind is a scripture that I had memorized. And some of you who went to praying with scripture might have talked about memorizing scripture. Hebrews 11 says, this faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You don't need faith if you can see what's happening. You need faith when you can't see what's happening. And I couldn't see what was happening. And so by the time I hit the bottom of the stairs, I started out the staircase like this. By the time I got to the bottom stair, the Lord changed, changed me from the inside out and nothing had changed except everything changed. And I wish I could say that the next job happened the next day, but that's not what happened. I had another eight months of waiting but I waited in this place of now is the time for faith. If I don't exercise my trust in God now, when do I think I'm going to do it? Now is the time for faith. Here's another example of listening and pausing. Um, I have a friend, Tracy. Uh, she's a friend of mine from Connecticut. She has given me permission and, and encouragement to share this story whenever I want. So I told her I was going to be here. She said, share the story. Tracy's dad has been sick for a, a number of years, and um, we have gotten into this pattern of when he was going to have a test or go to the hospital or something would happen, she'd call me, and we would pray for her dad. And one day... I felt the Lord prompting me to change this pattern. And, you know, if somebody calls you for prayer because something is really big happening in their life, what do you want to do? You want to pray. But I felt the Lord saying, go ahead and pray, but first, encourage Tracy to get quiet and listen, because I want to teach her how to pray. So I said, all right, Lord, here goes. I said, Tracy, we're going to pray for your dad. But more importantly, I have a one-word prayer for you, and that is listen. Listen for God. And what I'm about to read you is a record of our text messages. Me to Tracy. So, did you get quiet yesterday? What did you hear? And she said, this is what I heard. And she sent me three photographs. And I wrote back, are you kidding? Did, did you take these? Did you take them off the internet? Did you take these? And she said, uh, this I, and I said, this is ama it's amazing. And she said, yes, I did take them. They're not from the internet. She said, yes, I was having my quiet time in the backyard. My eyes were closed, and I was trying to be still with, with, no, with no thoughts, and I was praying for the right words for prayer, asking the Lord to speak with me. Then a very loud bird made screams, and I said, I wish you, God, would speak to me like that bird. And I opened my eyes, and there it was, over the backyard, right above the house, a skywriter had written on the sky. <laughs> he, he had written, Jesus loves 
you. And the next picture said, Jesus for gives you. And then the last one, he came by again and said, praise God. <laughs> I have the pictures on my phone. And okay, of me of little faith. Like, I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I'm not believing that this is what happened. And this is what happened. This is what happened. Well, I said, well, that sure seems like an answer to prayer. <laughs> you might want to meditate on them. They're so special, and that's what God wants for all of us, to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Praise God. This prayerful listening is something that perhaps doesn't come naturally to all of us. It can be difficult to listen. Uh, particularly um, for God. Um, but as we've said all along, we want to do some teaching about prayer, but then we want to do it. So we're going to engage in an exercise of prayerful listening now. And so I want to tell you how we're going to do this. Um, you're going to have coming round to you a little blue sheet headed prayerful listening. So just wait till you get that, but I'll, I'll talk you through it. What we're going to do is we're going to gather into groups of four. And in order to do this, I'm expecting some holy chaos for about two and a half minutes while you do that. Don't do it till I say go. Um, so move, you'll need to move the chairs, get a little bit of space. It's going to be noisy in here because it's a noisy, bright room. But we can do this. You can go anywhere you like it in the room, get into groups of four. And here's what's going to happen. Um, one person at a time is going to... Um, share a prayer request. Okay, that's not too difficult. All you have to do is share a prayer request. Now, here's the thing. This prayer request, we want this to be something for you. It's not that we don't pray for other people. Of course we pray for other people, but I'm asking you to take a bit of a risk because the safe prayer request is, please can you pray for my Uncle Ned, who's got a gammy knee. And, you know, it's good to pray for Uncle Ned with a gammy knee. It's a quaint British expression. You'll get over it. Um, yeah, yes, yes. So but I don't want you to do that tonight. I want you to see what it is that these other three people can pray for you. And I want you to share whatever this is in no more than three minutes. You might, you might need three seconds, but you might want to explain your prayer request, and that's fine. But no more than three minutes. So somebody keep an eye on the watch, okay? And, um, and whatever you share needs to remain between the members of um, that group. It's going to be confidential. I mean, unless it involves you know, harm to yourself or another, it stays in the group, okay? Um, and this is going to be the hard bit, because you, you should have got your blue forms by now. Let me see. It, it, and you'll see on the form, it says, um, one person shares a prayer request for his or her own life no more than three minutes. Or other three listen... now. Say together the next words without comment. So in the box at the bottom, that means no fixing, no advice giving, and we're going to keep confidence. Now, this might be the hardest thing you do this weekend. Someone's going to share something, and you're going to think, oh, my goodness, the exactly the same thing happened to me. You know, what I think might be really helpful. No, 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 stop, stop. I just want you to listen. 
Just listen to what the person is sharing. And then um, we're going to be silent in your groups. The room won't be silent, but you'll be quiet, and you're going to listen. You're going to hold that person before the Lord. They've shared something from their heart, and you're going to listen for two minutes. And I don't know what will happen in that two minutes, but we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come tonight and help us. And so what I want you to do is after the two minutes or during those two minutes is write on one of these index cards, and I'll tell you about those in a minute, a, ideally a one-word prayer. Like Andrea shared, the word was listen, or the word might be rest, or the word might be stop, or the word might be go. I don't know. Um, but I want you to write one word. And then at the end of the two minutes, each person will read the word they've put down. And then you'll give your card to the person that shared. And then you each do that. So you'll do that four times. Now then, we're going to practice the miracle of the loaves and fishes with the cards. And here's how we're going to do it. Uh, if you, there are cards all over the place. If you can take a stack of four cards, fold them in half like this. Okay, this is, this is easy. Well, we'll see. Maybe it's like a telephone book. How many can you rip? Um, oh, yeah, that's all right. And rip them in half. Fantastic. We now have 800 of these. We had, we had 400 a moment ago. Um, that means there are 200 times 4. So if there, if there are, I don't know how many people there are, but there are plenty of cards now. So just make sure when you get into your fours that you all have this piece of paper and four cards each and, and a pen. And if you need a pen, there's some at the back or some of you will have them. And once you've got situated, we'll have the, the holy crush in a second. I'm going to call us back together, and we're going to, to start this. We're going to pray the prayer at the top of the page. This is one of the collects from the prayer book, um, and we'll pray this as we ask that the Holy Spirit would direct and rule our hearts and be with us in this action. So is that, is that clear? Well, what, what you're doing with the other four is giving them to someone who doesn't have any, because there aren't enough. There are now. But before you rip them, there weren't. <laughs> okay, get into force. You move the chairs. Use the space. <laughs> 